Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Chef Special. This is Patrick Honeywell. Today's special guest host, Stephanie Banyas, welcomes the founder of Brunch Boys, influencer and content creator, Jeremy Jacobowitz. On today's podcast, Jeremy shares his inspirational story and transition from TV producer to Instagram star. And along the way, sharing some valuable insights and experiences in working with YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and more. So, Jeremy, first of all, again, thank you so much for doing this today and how busy you are and how in demand you are. And I really appreciate you taking the time. I've known Jeremy for, what is it, about maybe 10, 11, 12 years. I was trying to remember the first show. The way that I know Jeremy is that he started working for my former boss, Bobby Flay, on some of his television shows as a production assistant. Is that correct? Like you, you started as a PA? Yes. Yeah. What show was the first one that you... I couldn't remember. So the first one I did with Bobby, which I don't think you're ever really on set for, because it was it was beat by... Uh, sorry. It was Worst Cooks in America. Oh, is it really? You know, it's funny. Technically, it was a special right before that. I don't remember if... You were definitely part of this. We did a special with, with Michael Simon, Alex Gornichelli... On someone else. And it was like, they had to like make a dinner. They had to like rummage through the garbage and find food and make a dinner or oh something God, like that. Oh my God, I do remember that. That was like two weeks before Worst Cook started. So that was actually the first thing I did with him. But that was like so random and completely forgotten and, you know, everything. Right. And I wasn't on the set for that. I just had to help him kind of try to think up some recipes for how to use scraps so nothing went right. away. It's like, yeah, okay. So that was the whole beginning of like not throwing anything away. And um, it was was totally against everything that he stood for, but he managed to pull it out. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. That was crazy. And then, yes, I was not on the set of Worst Cooks at at all. I mean, I did help him with things on that, but I never really bebopped over. So when was the first time that I actually met you on the set? Was it brunch at Bobby's? Uh, Maybe. The next thing... So, you know, when I was on Worst Cooks that first season, I wasn't Bobby's PA. I was just a general PA. The first... But the first show I really did with him was Three Days to Open. Oh my goodness. The one where we did that chicken wing guy or that chicken person down the village? So that was the pilot. So I started with him right after you guys finished that pilot when it went to series. But yes. That didn't last too long, right? We didn't tape too many of those. Um, No, Bobby canceled it halfway through filming. So it didn't last too long. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like my boss. Um, Okay, so this is not all right. So then again, I'm going to ask the question: When when did we meet? <laughs> I I'm going to say I do remember you. Were you or were you not on the set of Brunch at Bobby's when we shot down in like Greenwich Village? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, okay. I, I was I was definitely there for that. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I guess okay. that would have been the first like really like working on on set officially together. Although you were a special guest with us when we did the next show after Three Days Open, um, Bobby's Dinner Battle. I do remember that. And I remember you were a judge in one of those episodes. Yes, yeah. exactly. That was right. it. Yes, exactly. And my love affair with Jeremy began. He had a special, <laughs> he went out of his way to make sure that I had some special treats on the set for me to nibble on, not just Bobby. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the thing that I always remember about you is first of all, that you're, you know, just a, a really nice person and you are. And I mean that sincerely, but I always remember how interested that you were in food. And, 
you have kind of a passion for it. And that's why it wasn't a surprise when you, you know, started doing this influencer thing, which didn't begin as an influencer thing, but I'll let you get to that. I guess my first question to you is, when did you realize that your hobbies, you know, of food and photography and video, because that was kind of your background, correct? Is that, did you go to school thinking that you wanted to go into TV production and film production? No. Uh, I went at, uh, I went to NYU and I studied sports management. I always say like I went in with that major so and I did early admission. So really what happened is like they came to the high school guidance counselors at NYU or whoever came to me and they said, hey, 17-year-old boy, what would you like to study at school? And I was like, yeah, sports management. Why, why wouldn't I want to study sports management? While I was at NYU, like two years in, I realized like, oh, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do necessarily. I kind of just wanted to be around sports. Two years in, I was like, oh, I kind of like this TV thing. I like sports. I like TV. Why don't I just combine those two? And I started working in sports TV before I did anything else. So I, I interned for SNY, which is the Mets network. I was field producing at WCBS. I worked at WWE. And that was all before I got into food. It really was like, I, I had to... I left sports TV because they're really... This is you know 12 years ago, a dozen years ago, whatever it is. And there really just weren't that many places to work. And I was like, well, I love TV. What else out there, you know, is there for me? And it took sort of starting over. And the first gig, I, the first food show gig I ever did was an episode of, of Man vs. Food. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I love food. I've always been very passionate about food. I love the Food Network, uh, especially. And I was like, well, why don't I just combine that then? I could work in food TV instead of sports TV. And that's really where all that started. And like, my background's never been technical. Like, I've had to teach myself how to do everything now. And that has sort of blossomed, honestly, more of a new passion, which is the creating content of photography and video and all that stuff. But like when I was in TV, I was either, you know, I started as a PA and then I was Bobby's PA and then I was producing. So I never really had to touch anything, you know, like that was always someone else's job was to touch the cameras. Uh, I kind of just told them what to do. So yeah, it, it sort of had forced myself to do it and having to do it on my own to produce the content that I do now, it's like, oh, wow, Like I actually really love that side of it as well. I love the whole thing. Well, that's even more impressive because, I mean, as someone who's tried to learn photography, I mean, it is not easy, especially food photography. Getting that food to look beautiful in a picture and having the right light and stuff like that is not difficult. So I really did think that that was your background while you were in, were in school. And that's why you went into the whole TV world. So, wow, that's really interesting. Would you say that you've always been one of those people who, I mean, I like to say, you know, the people that I know in the food world, whether it be my friends or, you know, just colleagues that are really passionate about their jobs and passionate about food, all of them, this interest in food began at an early age. I mean, I know mine did. I was in the kitchen with my mom, you know, from the time I was six on, always interested in cooking and always interested in, in learning how to cook and helping her and so on and so forth. Was it the same with you? Like you've always had a love for food or did this come later in life? No, it, it, it was always. It, it very much came from my mom um, who had loved traveling and eating and still loves those things. And that was sort of like ingrained in me. A couple of things were like, one, the stories that I'm told at least always were like, one, the first solid food I ever ate was like mushu pork as a, the baby, like the <laughs> literally the first food. Like that like makes a lot of sense looking back now because I, I love Asian food. And even like, when I would have like special lunches with my mom as like a four-year-old kid in Brooklyn, it was like, I wanted like Thai food, which now I think like that makes sense. Like, oh, the Brooklyn four-year-old wants Thai food. But like back in the nineties, that wasn't like what most kids were like. And yeah, it began that way. And the rule too for me was always like, I always had to taste everything. 
anything like that just sort of ingrains in me, like, okay, eat everything. And I, and I, and I loved everything. So that was really it. And, and it was eating and cooking. Like I always liked cooking and I was always sort of forced to cook where my mom's a great cook, but like, she wasn't home to cook necessarily. She was working and I was just hungry. So like my cooking, was just doing whatever on my own always. And well, uh, you know, I've always said like, well, I'm not super passionate about the cooking side of it. I always enjoy it, but I think like my enjoyment comes from it comes from cooking for others, which is why even now, like I don't do a ton of it just because what I cook for myself is like so boring and basic because that's not the joy I, I get out of it. It's when I could actually like entertain, which is like, I'll cook when I go home. Like that's much more exciting to me than cooking for myself. Right. No, no, I hear you. Um, I'm kind of the same way too. I mean, my day-to-day stuff is pretty basic too, but I'm living in Bozeman, Montana and all of my friends are super foodies. I mean, every time we get together, we pick a theme and everybody just knocks it out of the ballpark. So it's much more, I'm much more creative when I'm having guests over and trying to impress people than I am in my day-to-day life. Not to mention my whole life is food. So like all of my jobs are about food. And the last thing I want to do when I come home is like make more food. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I know, you know, I could never have been a chef. You know, I remember Bobby always saying, you know, to students who, or not just students, but anybody who would come up to him and say that he wanted to be, they wanted to be a chef or be in the food world. He would say, you know, it's not the same as like making a dinner party for like 10 people. Like you really have to be passionate about this. You have to want to do it every single day of your life for hundreds and hundreds of people. And I think that's the difference between, you know, people who want to be chefs and people who are just really interested in the food world. Because I know that to me to have to do it every day would kind of take the love out of it and the passion out of it. Even the people that like, sorry, I was going to say, even the people like I find that like, you know, it's still such a a sexy world to be a part of. So you Mm -hmm. see all these people that want to open up restaurants and want to do this. And I'm like, are you crazy? (laughs) And you have to be honest, you have to be crazy. It's like, this isn't a world you just step into and like make all this money. It's a world you struggle in. You never yeah. make money and you kill yourself because you're passionate about it. And, and you're opening up a restaurant or wanting to be a chef and all this stuff should literally only come from being passionate about it because you're not going to get anything else out of it, to be honest. You're going to be very, very, very lucky if you are able to make a lot of money being in the restaurant world. No, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's why I have so much respect for those people. I truly do. Let's just get to this influencer thing, which again, from the start of this whole thing, I, I remember calling you and texting you and talking to you, just saying, I am so impressed with you. I can't believe what you're doing. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Okay. First, it started as a brunch kind of like blog, right? I mean, for lack of a better word, was it a blog more so than anything? Uh, it was always video. So like I, it was based on the whole idea of it. So it was called Brunch Boys and it's still the name of the company, I guess. The whole idea was like, oh, let me just make these like little food travel videos about brunch in New York City between gigs. Like give myself something to do when like we weren't filming something. And that was really the whole point. There were no influencers at all. There are no food influencers. There was no benefit to doing it other than like, oh, cool. Like this is just something fun I can do. And that was the whole point. And why brunch? Was it one of your favorite meals or... Yeah, well, it was a few things. Yes. I mean, I, I even to this day, like, even if I don't necessarily like to me, it's about the food itself, not necessarily about like, oh, I love eating at 1 p.m. on a Sunday with mm-hmm. Bloody Marys or whatever. I just kind of like that type of food. I'm a much more casual type of person. Like that food excites me much more than high-end whatever. Right. So I kind of had an idea that's what I wanted to do. And honestly, the number one reason why it was brunch was the whole reason I did everything was stemming from my experiences in TV. Mm-hmm. And it was 
okay, between gigs, I'm not doing anything. I want to have something to work on. Cool. Let's make this video series. Okay. And I knew that had to be basically just me because I can't afford anyone else. So it's like, okay, I'm not going to be, if I'm going to be on camera, but I'm not going to be the best host. Uh, I'm not going to have the best production skills because even then I I knew way less about producing and cameras and all this stuff then. Uh, It's not going to be as good as whatever. So I'm like, okay, if I'm not going to be as good as literally anything in this world, I at least just have to be different. So I was like, okay, well, nobody does anything with brunch. And I knew the reason why, just because like every time I pitched, like this is really when I was more producing the food travel shows. And I'd pitch brunch, I'd be casting the shows and I'd pitch a brunch segment to the networks, all, all the networks that worked for all of them, mm-hmm. you know, different shows, whatever. And they would all tell me the same thing. They're like, nobody cares about brunch. It's too LA in New York. That's not our audience. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, this show is for me and my friends, basically. I didn't really think anyone else would watch it. So right. I'm like, well, I'm just going to focus on the thing that they told me that they're not going to do because then I could go around and pitch myself, especially as helped as, as I started to grow and it became a thing. I was able to immediately pitch myself as the number one brunch, whatever, in the whole world. <laughs> That's true. The number one brunch video series, the number one brunch Instagram, number one brunch, everything. Because literally, the only other thing really in culture that was about brunch was, was brunch at Bobby's. And that was all cooking. So like it, to me, like it was such a different thing than what, than what I was doing anyway. Sure. So I'm like, all right, well, that doesn't really count. So I'm like, okay, well, this is it. There's no one else is talking about brunch when I know that me and my friends love it. This is so silly. This should be the thing. Well, the thing I remember is so you immediately start getting into restaurant kitchens and taping things. So, you know, how easy or hard was that? Like you just, you had favorite brunch places and what you pick up the phone and you say, Hey, you know what? My name is Jeremy. I want to do this brunch thing. Can I come in and start taping? Were people receptive to it, especially back then? Like I can't imagine people would be like, What? No, get out of my kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Like, how were they? I, I think it's two things. I think like, Yes, you could think back then they have no idea what this is. I have no audience. Why would someone do this? Right. But at the same time, nobody else was asking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. who's who else is going into kitchens? They, you know, a, a restaurant could sit there and wait for food ever to show up and guide to show up or whatever. Right. I mean, what are the odds of that happening? Uh, pretty high. They've been to every <laughs> restaurant. But you know what I mean? Like there was only one outlet for this stuff. So the fact that I was just asking it and it helped that I could come in with the real background. I wasn't just nobody, even if they didn't necessarily know who I am. I could be like, hey, I, you know, I do produce for Food Network. This is just my side gig, blah, blah, blah. But the first, what's funny is the only reason I was able to do the first, the first one was with Dale Talday. Oh, wow. At, okay. At, I want to say Talday, or maybe I forget which one, I forget, whatever. I think that was his first restaurant, wasn't it? In Brooklyn, yeah, one of the ones, mm-hmm. he had like two of them in Park Slope. I forget which oh, one we went to. Okay. So the way I got set up with him was through Rachel Ray's hair person, who I'd become friendly with. And I just kind of put out a thing like, hey, does anyone know anyone in Brooklyn? I'm just looking for a brunch spot. If anyone could connect me to anybody, that'd be great. And she said, oh, Dale. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, that, that's amazing. Yeah. That's like, you know, the number one person to go to in episode one. Great. So I guess like uh, Dale didn't super read the email. So we started filming and uh, it, it came up like, so the whole idea was my buddy was going to make drinks with the, with the bartender, one of his partners. I was going to make kitchen Dale making food. And then me and my buddy was sitting and eating drink, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So we're doing the bar scene. And uh, we were like, oh, should we curse or not? And this is the first show. So we're like, oh, yeah, I guess we curse. And Dale looks over and goes, curse? He's like, isn't this for the Rachel Ray show? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. So thank God his partners jumped in. And they're like, no, Dale, you never read emails. That's not what this is for. So they knew. So it wasn't like, okay, it wasn't like I was trying to be deceitful. Dale just saw uh, her name connected with Rachel and like didn't look past that. 
Okay. <laughs> but that was sheet number one. <laughs> that is so funny. And was he okay after that? Like he went through with the tape. Oh, I don't yeah, remember he wasn't that like, one. Okay. He wasn't like angry about it or mad about uh-huh. it. He was just like, oh, that's so... He's like, yeah, that sounds like somebody I would do. Whatever. Who cares? Where else do this? <laughs> okay. So you tape that and then yeah. you post it where? Where are we posting this first tape? It's it's just YouTube. There, was, there were no other places to post videos back then. I mean, I think I started the website maybe at the time, but it was like... Instagram didn't have any video. Facebook didn't have any... Like there was no other video platforms. And so like we did the original like three episodes in the first three months or whatever. And then just honestly forgot about it because I just I was just on set. I was working. I was too busy right. working on other shows. But what had happened was I started the Instagram account with it just because I'm like, okay, well, I'll pick the same brunch voice. and just, you know, have all the handles. And I was on the road for all these shows. So I would just be in kitchens nonstop, multiple kitchens a day. And I'd just be taking photos of the food. Part of it was my job. They, you know, productionists wanted to have photos of stuff. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just post it on this account I have that's about food. And then it started to blow up. And that was like right when food accounts were becoming a thing. I just happened to have one and I happened to have access to all this food that no one else was able to get because I was in the kitchens anyway across the country. No, this is what I don't understand, especially. YouTube. Now, Instagram, we'll get to it in a minute, but I didn't really know much about YouTube either until like we started doing um, some B-team things for Bobby. I'd never even really heard of it before. I didn't know how to post on it or do anything. How does somebody, especially back then, find you on YouTube? Like, How on earth did they find <laughs> you? I mean, do you have any idea? I mean, I'm still hoping they find me on YouTube. That's still that's that's where it started, and it's still my smallest audience, which is really funny. But I mean, it's like all the social media stuff. It's like one, it's it's keywords, and especially if YouTube is signed into Google. So it's like if someone wants to look up the brunch, hey, I, I'm going to go eat Dale's brunch, and they type into Google Dale Talde brunch. Hopefully, my video pops up. So that's that's one way to it. The YouTube algorithm is always showing people different, you know, the next video or whatever it is. So if you watch one video of food, odds are the next video is going to be on food. And then just people sharing, just being like, oh, wow, this is such a cool video and emailing to their friends or texting to their friends or, you know, whatever it is. So it's a combination of all three. Hey, Jeremy, I'd, I'd like to say that I, uh, I found you on YouTube for sure. And it was cool because I, I watched, I think it was the Tokyo style pizza that I, I was kind of like mm. when people watch a series and they can't stop. I brought my, my wife over too, because you were doing something that she really liked. I thought, what the heck is going on? Now I couldn't, I was so hooked. So anyway, yeah, that stuff is cool. And it jumps from food to food to food to food. Right. Yeah, it was cool. So that is like 12 years ago or whatever. And how many people, let's just say, start? What was the most that watched a video at that time? Like, were you keeping track? Like the Del Taldo video comes out and it's like what? It's like, I don't know, 20 people, if that is okay. basically just like whatever friends actually like took the time to watch it and nobody else. And it's not like you could have posted anywhere to let people know that you'd done it either at that time, uh, correct? I mean, I could post like on, I was like posting a link on Facebook, just my friends oh, and on okay. even my Instagram, I could put up a photo of like the dish and be like, hey, if you go to YouTube, you can watch it. So there were ways to share it without, you know, it being embedded anywhere. And at that time, you also had a partner with Brunch Boys, correct? Too, there were two of you. Yeah. So the idea okay. of the show was like me and and him eating brunch together. Okay. And then you went off onto your own and started doing other things, and then you started to expand past brunch for the most part, also correct? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next thing you know, how do you get from YouTube to Instagram? What year does Instagram start to come out in your world? I mean, it all started at the same time. The the con the main content was not going to live on Instagram because like you couldn't post any videos on Instagram. And then you could post like 15 second videos on Instagram. And, and really the change happened when Instagram started allowing you to post one minute videos for two reasons. That was a big moment. One, that's what I like doing. I like making videos much more than taking photos. Although mm-hmm. I, I do love taking photos and it's it's a lot easier to take a photo than produce a whole video. But on one level, it made me stand out even more because at the time I I, I, even as poor, I look back at those videos and they suck, but like they're still <laughs> pretty much better than like what most people were doing. Absolutely. And two, Instagram wanted to push video. So now not only did I have an advantage of being different, I was brunch, I was a guy, mm-hmm. I was producing an Instagram wanted to push video. So like that's where the tremendous growth came, right? When Instagram allowed you to finally do legit videos. Cause that just like was, was super served to everybody. And like, I mean, I was growing thousands and thousands every single day. And again, is that growth coming from like like hashtags, keywords that are on there? Is that what's happening? Okay. Yeah, because at the time there was no algorithm on the feed. So it was literally just, yeah, hashtags, people sending each other the the videos, Instagram suggesting users to people, all that. So do you remember your very first video that you posted? The long-term video, meaning like for Instagram? Mm. I have no idea. My guess okay. is I probably just pulled from the older video. So it was probably one of those original brunch brunch things that I did. I have no idea, but it quickly okay. just became like, that's what I'm going to do. And it's all, uh, you know, they've gotten more and more complex and they've just changed over time. And for a, a, a lot of reasons, one, mostly just I get bored of stuff and two, like social media changes. I mean, social media changes every second. So you kind of have to keep adapting to keep up. So how long do you, I mean, if you remember, how long did it take you to really start to get noticed where you you said to yourself, wow, you know, like people are really tuning into me. I think I can really make something of this. Do you remember, was it one particular video or food item or post that really just took off more so than any others? Yeah. The first thing, it all sort of happened at the same time where in the first year, nothing happened because like I wasn't really posting and no one was really looking for food accounts because that wasn't a thing. So the year mm-hmm. passed, nothing really happened. And then I started posting more and more just to had the content, whatever. And it was still like kind of baby growth. And honestly, what helped tremendously at the beginning was um, was getting reposted. It's harder to repost videos now. And nobody reposts my videos now because they're all about me and no one's going to post a video about me necessarily. Even you know, It's about the dish, but it's very much me. Where the first thing got reposted by literally everyone. Like at the time too, like uh, the biggest food accounts and like what food accounts were, this is, you know, six or seven years ago, it was like infatuation. They were like the first ones. Oh, I remember that. Right. And like okay. food and wine and eater and like all these bigger yep. publications. And to me, then like that was sort of the goal was like, oh, be a food publication, like be very cold and repost stuff and just about the food and blah, 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 blah. So yeah, they all reposted this photo of a waffle that I took. The place doesn't even exist anymore. I look at it like it's a terrible photo, but whatever. They all loved it. They all reposted it. So that was like a big moment when it's like to get reposted by the biggest food accounts in the world at the time was like the momentum I needed. And then, oh, wow, what's this account? And then I was able to keep feeding them content, content, content and grew from there. But yeah, those first initial reposts really were really helpful. And then then the video stuff was like when it actually exploded. And were you hashtagging them too? Were you like hashtag infatuation? Yeah. And food? yeah. Okay. That's what I remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. You would do all the hashtags. You would tag them. I forget the timeline of like what stuff was available. Yeah. You would like 
your goal was to get reposted by them. That was like the trick to like getting an audience. Do you still do that today? Is that part of your, you still have no. like, no. Okay. Uh, so it just, Instagram honestly changed where back in the day you were supposed to like use 30 hashtags and like hope you came up trending on that hashtag and hope people saw it. The way they use, use hashtags nowadays, like it doesn't work like that. It's very much like you use hashtags to let Instagram know what is in the video because its algorithm can't really decipher what it is. Oh. So like if I post a video about pizza, it's like it's best to like literally just say hashtag pizza, hashtag New York City food. The like four or five very specific things just to help train its algorithm. Like, okay, cool. Now we get a better because like you can't, you know, the AI can't watch the video necessarily know what it is. So the hashtags are very helpful, just letting them know that. And then they'll serve it up to people that might be interested in that rather than are specifically looking for. Hashtag New York City pizza. When did you know? So you're still working at this time, right? You're still doing production work Mm -hmm. and you're still working on television shows. I remember you working on Beat Bobby Flay. And then the next season when we came back, you were no longer there. And I was like, where's Jeremy? (laughs) That wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't my choice, by the way. Oh, oh, really? Oh, okay. No, I thought you left in my mind. It's because you left to go become an influencer. (laughs) Oh, let's, let's, let's say that's the story. Oh, okay. Well, that was my story. (laughs) I mean, we all love you. I mean, everybody loved you. So when did you know that you're like, wow. I mean, like what starts happening? You become super important in the food world. You're getting lots of followers. How many followers are you at when people start to come to you and say, hey, will you come do a story with me? Can I pay you to post this? Like, when did that all start to happen? So basically what happened was I ended up on, when I, because I wasn't doing Beat Bobby stuff, I ended up on a bunch of food travel shows. And like I did them for that whole last year I was in TV, basically. Like very little breaks in between. So I was on the road for months. And I was just like exa- mentally and physically exhausted. I had never taken a break from TV ever because like, you know, the fear is can't take a break. You got to take the next show because who knows when the next show is. So uh, this was in like October, November, I wrapped the show and I was like, you know what? It's kind of slow in the holidays anyway. This Brunch Boys thing is kind of bubbly and I've never done anything with it ever. I'm just like completely drained. Why don't I like take a month off? I have this Instagram thing to play with at least. I didn't think I can make any money at the time. No one was really making money, but like, I'll just play with right. it. And it took the month off and like the account started really growing fast. And I started getting opportunities, not necessarily money opportunities, but people like being excited by the guy, like, hey, come to this event, come to this restaurant, come to this. I was like, wow, like this is cool. And these are all things I'm not, I would never be able to say yes to if I was on a show. You know, you don't have any flexibility when you're when you're on TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I kind of got to a point where like that was right when people started making money. And I wasn't yet, but other people were. And people started telling me, they're like, you're really close to making money if you just give it a little bit more time, like you're there, basically. And what does that mean? Meaning by the number of followers you have, that's how close you are to making it? Is yeah, it about they the just, followers? Yeah, I think uh-huh. like, yeah, number of followers and just the content yeah. and like your engagement's good and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And I was like, all right. So I kind of just like gave myself a timeline of like, okay, let me give myself three months to like see this through. And it, even at the time, it wasn't an idea of like quit TV. It was always like, well, then I could have something to do between gigs. But if I don't go at it now, I'm never going to be able to do this. So I gave myself three months. And like that's when I started getting sponsorships. And I probably had 30,000 followers, 25,000. I, I honestly forget, mm-hmm. but somewhere around there. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And like what happened was it wasn't like I was killing it, making all this money, but pretty much overnight, I made more money than I did in TV, you know, <laughs> just because wow. I didn't make any money in TV. So then it's like, okay, cool. Like I'm making more money than it did in TV. I have all this creative freedom to 
do whatever I want creatively. I have all this freedom to do whatever I want every single day. Why would I go back to TV? You know what I mean? And it wasn't a yeah. thing like, oh, I'll never go back to TV. It was like, I'll just keep doing this until I have to go take a show again. And you know, right. seven years later, I never I, never I was going to say it. seven years yeah. later, like I mean, you never had to go back. No, I mean, I sort of have. So in the past year, I've taken on a few extra... I'm taking on gigs for the first time ever. Not traditional TV, but taking gigs just because... I don't know, I like the excitement of doing something new. I think building my resume and building everything is is for the best anyway. And like, and they offered me insane deals also that it really wanted to turn out. So uh, I'm basically directing stuff for for Meta for Facebook, which is food like the things? greatest. Are they food yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. So basically okay. what they're doing is there's a chef partnership program. So when a chef puts out a cookbook and if they're in this program within Meta, uh-huh. um, they're given the opportunity to work with me and I'll make videos for them. So it's kind of whenever my schedule is, I could do it. Whatever works out for them, I get to do it. Um, it's a they basically just like sign me up for X amount of videos or whatever. And I was like, cool. Like it doesn't take up a time away. It doesn't necessarily take up time away from my normal content stuff. I get to direct videos for Meta, which is probably a bigger title than I ever would have gotten stayed in TV. Right. And it gave me a lot of money, so it all, it all worked out. That's amazing. I didn't know about that. Is there anybody that you can tell us that you're working with, like any of the chef's names, or is it confidential? No, I mean, we're all going to post it. Uh, oh. I'm filming tomorrow with Marcus Samuelson. So oh, I love content. Marcus Samuelson. Yeah. Does he have a new cookbook coming out? I think for him, we're doing something a little different because this is going to be a partnership with Bon Appetit also. Okay. And so we're talking about his new restaurant and stuff. I forget. It's basically like, Whatever they want me to do, I go do. So he's part of the chef program anyway. So the mm-hmm. jumping off point usually is they have a cookbook coming out. But if there's something else they want to talk about, they just they have me on call. So oh my god, that's awesome! I mean, congratulations. Yeah. That's that's just great. I love how your career has just gone, and you deserve it because you are working. You're a hard worker, and you also are just so passionate about this industry. And I mean, I just love watching you on film. I think that you should have your own show too. You should be in front of the camera also. Oh, thank you. Well, it's about, like it's always a thing of like. Where? Where does it go? And I have this conversation with a lot of my friends too that are sort of in the same boat of like they're on camera every day and like they sometimes do have dreams of like, I want to be on Food Network. And to me, it's like, no, I don't know. Like I wouldn't say no necessarily, but like my goal would be to produce for myself. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I get, I would it, like the people that really kill it in terms of video and food, like you look at like uh, Benjamin Babish on YouTube, like this dude makes more money and gets more views than he ever would have had on yes. Food Network. And like any controls on the content, like to me, that's that's the dream. And to me, like you know, you build an audience that way, and you have to make money, blah blah. So I would not say no to anything. But to me, it's always about growing what I do rather than the final goal being a, a Food Network show. Like I've I've hosted different digital stuff for outlets, and like that's more fun for me because I find that even though it's less money, it's reaching an audience that cares about me a little bit more, and it's it's far less work. Like I know what it takes to make a TV show, and like how much time could I really take away from my day to day to do that. And it would have to be the right mixture of like opportunity and money and what this leads to and blah, 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 blah. So it's it's part of, to me, like it's part of what I do rather than being the goal of what I do. Well, I'm also finding, you know, I one of my jobs here is that I'm teaching at Montana State University, their Gallatin School of Culinary Arts. And, you know, these students are you know, between 18, and let's just say 24. Some of them you know, have gone to college and now are in culinary school or some are just going to culinary school. And I, what I do find interesting about this generation is that they are not watching Food Network. They're watching YouTube videos and Netflix. They're watching TikTok. Yeah. And it's a completely different, like, you know, because obviously, you know, I have to lecture and also teach. And, you know, I'll talk about 
like people who maybe have started on Food Network or something like that, and they just don't know who they are. And when I say to them, well, you know, they're this, this, and that, and they're like, we have no idea who that is, but they know who like some of the stars from Netflix are or YouTube are that maybe I'm not familiar with because, you know, I'm a lot older than they are. So I'm just starting to get into YouTube. And like you said, I'm one of those people who turn it on, and then it goes to the next video and the next video and the next video. And I was like, oh my God, these are so interesting. Like I'm learning so much from these people and they're doing completely different things. So I'm kind of like, you know, what, a million years later, I'm, you know, behind the times um, as usual. I'm just getting into YouTube now and I'm finding it really interesting. And I think there's so much talent on there. I really do. Yeah. And I think like you just got, I mean, I think like, you know, my perspective on the food network stuff, obviously this is years ago and not everything's exactly the same, but not a lot changes there. And I always find that like, you know, when I tell the stories about my frustrations with TV, I think the joy of doing mostly Bobby shows, as you know, is like Bobby was able to tell them no. So Mm -hmm. I think we ended up working on shows that were significantly better than every other show I worked on in all of food TV, no matter what the channel was, because very, Mm -hmm. very few talent was able to tell them no. So stupid Mm -hmm. stuff that I have to do in other shows would never happen on a Bobby show. But, you know, he's only doing one show now. You mean, what is, what is the rest of the network? (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 no. And, and I'm quite honestly, I mean, just because I'm such a foodie, I love watching people cook. I mean, I don't want to just see nonstop competition shows. I want to see what people are doing with these different types of foods, not to mention international types of foods, vegan. I'm huge into vegan you know, cuisine and gluten-free, like things that I have to do in my career now that I'm super interested in that you just don't see you know, on that network. And I think that that might be it too. But I mean, obviously this is not us bashing Food Network. We, you know, I grew up on, not grew up on it, but you know, it definitely has... Um, a place in history in terms of food. It put really food on the map in this country. I, I do believe that. But things change and platforms change and people move on and younger people are looking for different things. And I do believe I'm, I'm true. No, you're saying that you have the least amount of viewers on YouTube? On all my social channels? Yeah, it's the smallest, it's the smallest audience I have. It's really like YouTube still, eight years later, is basically just a passion project uh, <laughs> compared to all my other social channels. Well, listen, you're not doing badly. You're doing amazing. So, (laughs) I want to ask a little bit about some of your YouTube videos, a bit about the food. You probably have reviewed more sandwiches, I think, than anybody I've ever seen. And not just on YouTube, but also on Instagram. I've seen you try all these different sandwiches, and and your approach to uh, a great sandwich is interesting. How important is a bread in a sandwich? It's the most important. Thank you. Thank you. Right? <laughs> right? Okay, cool. Now, the reason I ask is, I mean, because both uh, Stephanie and I are you know, in, involved in baking, but one of your videos, it was a jabou, jabou orange julee or something in Montreal. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And there was a, you had this big old hot dog and yeah. your first words out of your mouth was how buttery that darn bun was. And I thought, you know what? That's got to be a buttery brioche, like a lobster roll kind of a thing. It was on the, you know, put in the top. Was that a lobster brioche bun? Do you think? I'm trying to remember. Like I, I see it in my brain. I'm going to say yes, only because I don't remember it being anything else. But yeah, it was like a toasted, <sighs> super like oozing butter, like brioche kind of body. It was so I could good. I almost yeah. taste it. It was so cool. <laughs> and then I'll jump over to the Tokyo style pizza because you were just in LA. I remember Stephanie mentioned that you yep. were on this, this, my neck of the woods. And I 
to be honest, hadn't heard of a Tokyo style pizza. And you said it's all about the olive oil and the salt. Yes. What the heck? How did they come up with that in Tokyo, do you think? So when I was in Tokyo, and to two of the places that are most well-known there, it's Sirikon and Savoy are the two like most well-known Tokyo style pizza places in Japan. And basically what happened was, it was like maybe 30 years ago, someone, a Japanese person went to Italy, fell in love with the pizza. And he's like, I'm going to recreate this in Japan. And, you know, I think people are always like, oh, like Japanese and pizza, that doesn't make sense. But then when you really think about it, like the food in Japan is like so almost like scientific and so perfect and perfectionist about everything where pizza really requires that from every little last measurement to the you know temperature of the oven and all that has to be just absolutely perfect for the perfect pizza. So they really perfected it. And however, I forget the whole story about like how it got adapted, but basically what it was, was it just ended up having like way more salt. Like they're throwing salt all over it, they're throwing salt in the oven. It is so salty. And then just like drowning it in olive oil. Like what I had in LA, like wasn't even the amount of olive oil that I had in Japan. Like it was so good. I noticed that about sandwiches too, Jeremy, as I was going back through your Instagram just in the past couple of weeks, um, when I knew you were coming on the show, just to review and look at things. I was like, gosh, he does feature a lot of sandwiches. Now I just, you know, sandwiches are, I would say probably my favorite thing in the world. I absolutely love them. I'm a sucker for them. I can never turn them down. So I don't know that I noticed that just from like maybe seeing you on a day-to-day basis as you posting something. But when I went back and looked at like all of your posts, I was like, I would say the majority of your posts really are about sandwiches. Is that deliberate because you love them so much or? Yeah, I don't think it's thought out. I just think like, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I just order what excites me. And I think like, yeah, if I'm going to go to a restaurant, probably the sandwich excites me more. At the same time, it's also something that's like, very visual and easy way to show off something. So like even like, you know, maybe I could go do a, you know, a a chicken cutlet or whatever. And like, it could come on a plate with something or in a sandwich, it's going to look a lot better and probably taste a lot better. So like, I'd rather feature that. So yeah, it just, it's not really like me thinking like, okay, let me go do another sandwich. Just like a restaurant approaches me to look at the menu. And (laughs) I always, my eyes always go to what the sandwich is. Do you ever think about when you look at a sandwich, you know, certain fillings marry well with certain types of bread. Do you ever have a sandwich and go, why did they put it on this German pretzel roll? Or why is this on a brioche? It should be better on sourdough. I find that more... Sandwiches usually make sense. I find that more burgers. I question the bun choice of burgers a lot more mm-hmm. than the sandwich itself. Because even that, like, even that more people forget about. But like, uh, if it's a bad bun on a burger, you've ruined the entire thing. Mm. I agree. I agree. I've, in my mind, there's only one type of burger bun and that's like a soft potato roll with sesame seeds or something like that. I'm sorry. I just don't like I, I agree. I will say else. like, I think if it's a bigger burger and you want to go something a little heavier because it needs to hold up, like the potato bun could fall apart if it's like, if it's all this stuff piled on top, I could see that. But generally, like if I would make a burger, yeah, I'd, I would just do Martin's potato bun and oh, forget about the best. it. And we don't have them out here. And it's like, if I try to order them on Amazon, like a package of them cost me like $70 or something. <laughs> it's my biggest <laughs> sadness because we've been doing lots of burgers up here lately. Oh, man. And I keep telling everybody about the Martins, the Martins, Martins, and we just don't have anything even similar to them here. And that's like so sad to me. You know, that brings me to my next question. Like what percentage, I mean, be honest, of the food that you eat and post about, do you really actually love or will you only post things that you are you truly love and want people to try? I mean, 100% is what I want people to try. Whether it's okay. like the greatest thing I've ever had in my entire life, it's different. I mean, I do find it like... I think like food is so subjective yep. that like 
I find that like, I won't post it if it's a bad place, but I'm not going there if it's a bad place. Like I know how to do my research. I know what stuff is good before I show up. Maybe I eat something that wasn't my favorite thing in the whole world, but like Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's a bad dish or doesn't deserve praise of some kind. Uh, But generally, like, I think like, like you see the excitement I have for it and maybe I'll taste Maybe I'll, I'll get two dishes and the video only focuses on the one dish because I like that more. I think that happens more often than anything else. Like literally only once have, or once or twice have I had to like email the PR person that set me up at the restaurant and be like, oh, I'm not posting much at your restaurant because it sucked. Or, you know, oh, I said that nice, I said, I said that nicer than, no. than that. But I was just like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I just can't. Like, it was not good. And it's, and like, you know, when I go, I don't want to ever, I hate wasting food on any level, but it's like, I don't know, the food cost that I wasted that day by not pumping out the video is like $2.50. Like they'll right. get over it. It's fine. No, but good for you for being honest. Like I I, I do appreciate that. I, I mean, I do think it's a good thing because I know that's not always the case. Yeah. I mean, I go back and forth on like whether to say, I would never do a full feed post about a bad experience just because I don't think that's fair. But like, especially stories and like, I mean, listen, if someplace invited me and I would never then turn around and shit on them, I would have a conversation with them. But you know, right. most of the stuff you see, especially on stories, is just me going out and paying for food and enjoying it. And I had an experience a few weeks ago. I went on a date and like the food was good. The service was just the absolute worst, which mm-hmm. ruins a restaurant for me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, should I say something? Like, I don't know. I was really conflicted of like, yeah, I want to let people know that if they go there too, like the service is really bad. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I have this giant platform. Like, is it really worth it to trash this restaurant? You know? So I decided just not to say anything. I never posted about the food. I never posted about it at all. I felt like that was safer than to be like, hey guys, I like the food, but service sucks. Maybe you shouldn't go there. Just didn't feel right. You know, it's not like, is something terrible, is something terrible happened there? Maybe it was just like, oh man, the servers suck. You know what I mean? It's like, ugh. But you know, I have to say that like when I have a uh, some bad service, I, I don't say anything either. But if I, I'll go to the Instagram, to their Instagram, and I'll I'll write a private message because they need to know. I think management they really need to know, so then they can make adjustments. Because you probably won't go back, and unless no. they yeah. know to make correction, whether it's the food, whether it's the service, but I'll never put it on their main, uh, you know, their main post line because I I wouldn't do that either. But they need yeah, to know. I agree with that because like the whole restaurant's not responsible for it, and I think the first thing you should do is actually ask to speak to a manager. And just let them know and just say, hey, listen, you might want to work on this. I mean, I'm totally against people who, you know, have the need to go on and just start bashing restaurants without actually even saying something like being angry while you're there and then going out and posting it all over Instagram is like cowardly to me. Um, And, you know, like you said, they need to know. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't know that they have a server who's horrible or maybe something was happening in the kitchen that night, as we know, like having come from the restaurant industry. Like Lord only knows what could be going on, especially in today's time when everybody's so short-staffed and like they can't even get people to work for them. I mean, it's happening in Bozeman all the time. I mean, restaurants have to close for days because they just don't have staff to open. And then sometimes I've been at restaurants and the service is so slow and I and I know it's because there's like two people in the kitchen working. And so we're living in a different time right now, but not to say that there isn't bad service in New York City, because obviously there is, but there's, you know, 8 billion restaurants. Of course, there's going to be, you know, <laughs> some that aren't great for sure. So you pay, you just said something interesting, which I don't think I realized. So all of the posts that you put up on your Instagram account, you're paying for the food that you're featuring? No. So the way, oh. the way to notice on the accounts, whether it's paid for or not, is if I'm in the kitchen, 
I'm not paying mm-hmm. for it. If it's just me eating, it means I probably just rolled in and paid for it myself. Oh, wow. I don't think I knew um, that. I thought every single one of them, somebody asked you to come in and maybe, and I don't mean paid you again, like I'm saying, I don't feel no, like your yeah. opinion's being paid for. I just thought they'd be like, hey, we'd love to have you in. Like, we're, We'll treat you for dinner. And if you like it, please post about it. So I don't do that. Um, Okay. One, I don't really want comp meals. It's just like, it's too much. Like I did in the past. One, I can't mm-hmm. get my content that way. Like if I'm going to take the time to, re- especially in New York, when I travel, it's different. But when I'm really going to take the time to feature a place in New York, like let me get in the kitchen and then we do my full video because that's what's most exciting to me and most exciting to my audience isn't necessarily mm-hmm. me just standing there eating. It's like really seeing the food. And I just like, it's, it, it's too much food. It's too much waste. And that's why I tell the restaurants, I'm like, I don't want a comp. Like if I come in, I'm happy to just pay for dinner and just get the food that I want rather than a thousand dishes coming out of the kitchen. And yeah, once I'm there, like a lot of times I'm there, they notice it's me. I was just going to ask you that. Do they recognize you? <laughs> like, yeah, they're, I mean, listen, the restaurant industry is not gigantic, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, especially when I make a reservation, they know exactly who I am when I'm coming in. I'm not like, you know, having it under a different name. Right. So yeah, dishes will come out or like, you know, I'll order a bunch of stuff thinking I'm going to pay for it. Next thing I know, the check comes and it's zero. You know what I mean? Like, that happens at the same time that to me, like that's not a trade because we didn't discuss it. Like I always want to do stories because I'm there and I want to help where I can, but I'm not going to do a feed post if we didn't talk about it. And my expectation was that it's paying for all this food because I didn't come there looking to work. I came there looking to just like enjoy my meal. But that's pretty, yeah, that's different. So it's like when I'm in the kitchen, to me, it's like it's Food Network shoot. It's like, you know, we didn't pay for food on Food Network shoots, like it's, you know, the trade or whatever. Um, but if it's just me eating food, I probably just went there and paid for it. Either I couldn't get in touch with them or they told me they don't want to film or whatever it was, but I still wanted to get there and and feature them. You know, everybody today wants to be an influencer. They think it's like an easy way to, I don't know, get recognition, be a superstar, earn, you know, lots of money instead of like maybe going to an office and working nine to five or something like that. I mean, it's like I said, it's just a different generation of people. But I mean, it's not easy doing this type of work. I mean, listen, is it digging ditches or working in a coal mine? No. But I mean, just speak to the fact of how much time and energy, especially when you were starting out to make a name for yourself, how many hours a day, how many days a week were you putting in to get yourself noticed? I mean, it's every second. You know what I mean? Like I probably now work... I've been trying to be better about like not working full days Fridays and taking off Saturdays and then spending Sunday mostly working. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm up early. I do it every single day. But yeah, I mean, that's what I tell people too. It's like, I think my lifestyle was always set up for it where like, I never had a nine to five job. I always worked in TV. I've never known where money's going to come. I've never had insurance or, you know, I've never had company insurance. Right. I've had all the things that make this lifestyle very difficult. I kind of had already, which set me up really nice for it. But yeah, it's every second. And like, honestly, like even people are like, how do you get deals? which is the number one question. You know what I mean? Like, how do they find you? And to me, it's like, because I go network and I go meet everyone and I have to go have meetings and go to events and do all this stuff I don't really want to do. But like... Yeah, but you have the perfect personality for it. Yeah, you've always been super social. Again, that's another reason why I know I could never do it because I am not a social person. I I mean... I hate crowds. <laughs> I mean, I honestly feel the same way. I just know when to turn it on and know how to turn it on and know know who to turn it on for, I guess. <laughs> you wow. Know I, mean? I was going like, to say, you do a good job of um, then acting because I've always considered you to be this friendly, not, I mean, you are friendly, but this super outgoing type of person. That's why I thought like, you know, you're at every single event and I'm like, wow, this is so Jeremy. Like I can see why he's being so good at it because he's, 
you know, he's so social. So that's interesting to know that maybe you're not as social as I think you are, but you were passionate about this and you wanted so badly that you're like forcing yourself to go out there because that's how you know you're going to meet people and get deals. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just like anything, I think like, you know, something makes you feel uncomfortable. doesn't mean necessarily don't do it. You kind of have to like right. mm-hmm. grow and adapt and put yourself, especially when, yes, it, it matters much more to business-wise too. It matters so much that it can't just be like, oh, I don't really want to do this. Is that really how it works? Yeah. You have to put the work in. People aren't just going to mm-hmm. come to you because you know something about food. And I find that the majority of the people who are influencers don't know anything about food. They're just good at presenting it. Yeah. And that's the most thing. That's, <laughs> that's the thing that's the most upsetting to me. Somebody who's like been in the industry for 30 years, you know, like went to culinary school, worked for one of the top food people in the world, worked at magazines, written cookbooks and stuff like that. And then I see somebody like, you know, just out of college, getting millions of followers and making maybe millions of dollars talking about food. And I'm like, okay, don't be it's, bitter. It, just move it's, on. <laughs> it's changed a little bit though. I think like, you know, at the beginning when it was only mostly people posting photos of dishes mm-hmm. or like you weren't really saying anything anyway, like you could right. really get away with that. Honestly, on TikTok, if you're posting about food, mm-hmm. not that they have this necessarily this giant wealth of information, but they kind of have to fake it a lot more. Like, mm-hmm. especially on TikTok, it's all, you know, cooks. I don't want to call them chefs, but they're TikTok right. cooks. Mm-hmm. And they are, you know, I, it's funny to me when like, when they talk to me about their like recipe making process. <laughs> and then I explain to them the way that like you recipe test for like mm-hmm. actual cookbooks and like how it's actually done. Yeah. And I'm like, I know you think you've slaved away in the kitchen all day making this TikTok recipe thing. I'm like, it's not actually how what recipe testing is. <laughs> no, you've actually probably took it from somebody else's cookbook and then made it your own. So yeah, like um, even I mean that's yeah, like that's why I'm always like when I do stuff in my own kitchen, like I don't really say if I'm doing a cooking video, like I don't say measurements yeah. because like this isn't a recipe that I made myself and recipe tested. Yes, I looked in someone else's cookbook or looked around or pieced mm-hmm. together from a few different things and put together generally what I try and do is also at least give them credit. In it, like I did a, a video, um, shot a video the other day for uh, Areas, which are like my favorite thing in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And like I eat them all the time at, at 12 chairs, you know, the restaurant near me. And there's a dude on TikTok called The Golden Balance that like that's his thing. Like, I mean, he has like millions of followers, but like he's made this recipe like a thousand times. I'm like, I legit went to his page for inspiration and to figure out what was in this dish. Like, I'm gonna give him credit. I'm not gonna pretend like I pulled this out of my ass, you know? Right. No, no. And your cooking videos always go come off well. I mean, it's apparent that, again, you have such a love for food, you're passionate about it, but you also know your way around the kitchen a little bit too. So a little bit. Never, don't look yeah. at my don't don't look at my knife skills. But other than that, which... <laughs> hey, listen, my knife skills still aren't great. And I've been doing it. I was gonna say, because I've How do you sharpen a knife? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Jeremy, are there things that you turn down? Um, what percentage of the things that are offered to you do you turn down and just maybe because you just think, I don't know, maybe I don't have the time for it or it's just not a good fit. Are there things that you're just not interested in taking? You don't have to say what they are, but... You know. I mean, in terms of restaurants and in terms of meal, in terms of money, yeah, it turns on. I turned out way more than I say yes. I mean, your restaurant stuff, like one, I can't say yes to every restaurant. Like I, I just couldn't. And two, like I kind of just go by like what excites me. I think there's a lot of food food accounts like, oh my God, what's new? I got to get to what's new. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I just want to know like what's exciting to me. And like if someone presents a restaurant or something looks cool, I'm like, all right, yeah, maybe I could do that. Whether it's old, new or whatever. And then money-wise, yeah, the same thing. Like to me, like it kind of has to pass all the tests of like, 
what do I have to say about this? Is my audience going to care about this? Are they going to pay me enough? Is it going to be easy to work with them? Like, what, what do they really want me to do? There's a lot that goes into it. Do you have a set day rate that you charge? Or do you allow people just to come to you first with the number or like, I'm not quite sure how it works. I mean, I know how it works for me as a freelancer. Like I have different prices for different things that I do. Not that I always stick to them because a project may come up that I'm just interested in that's paying yeah. way less than I would typically take. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to learn from this and it's actually kind of exciting. I'll take it. Yeah. Like I like we generally, I generally have a price in mind that I'd be trying mm-hmm. to shoot for, but it really depends on, I always say like, who's asking? Right. And mm-hmm. what they want, you know, and there's ways to negotiate based off of their budget also. And then what I want to like, if it's the biggest company in the whole world, not really going to give them a lot of leeway, like pay me my rate. If you're a smaller company, maybe I do, will do it less. Or maybe I'll be like, Hey, like, you know, I, I really love your product. I really love what you're doing. I don't think I could like do a full feed post for you just because the amount of work that it takes, I, I got to make something worthwhile, but right. I'll do some stories. Do you know what I mean? Like something more low stakes makes it easier. Like, Especially now with TikTok, like TikTok ads cost less than Instagram ads. So it's like, okay, maybe you don't have a budget for Instagram. Do you want to have a budget for TikTok or whatever it is? Like, that's, I always say, like, my thing is like, let's find a way. Once we're at the step of like, I want to work with them, my whole thing is like, yeah, let, let's find a way to make this work. You keep mentioning TikTok, and it's something that I truly am not on at all. <laughs> Again, I think it's a generational thing, but not to say that people my age aren't, aren't on, on it, but. Um, how important is TikTok right now? And out of all the social media platforms going like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, which to you would you say if you had to choose one that's the most important right now to getting like an audience, which one of those is more important to you? Probably TikTok. Is it? um, it's the place that has the most growth. It's the place that is sexiest to brands. It's the place that allows me to reach a younger audience. Like I'm running into the issue of like, but TV ran into is like, I've had this audience for so long that like, they're kind of growing up with me, which is nice. They, it works out on Instagram where like they have disposable income more than a younger generation would. So like the ads that come with me, like are getting people that could really pay for those experiences. But at the same time, at some point, you know, it's all those numbers and all that other stuff. They want to see your younger audience. So I think it's really helpful there. It's a, it's the fastest place to grow right now. I do think Instagram overall is more has more value because I just think you connect to your audience on Instagram so much more than TikTok. Just the way it works on the back end, you just you reach people and I've reached these people for years and they know me for years. So I think truly all my value is still Instagram. But in terms of like what I concentrate on, it, it's, it's basically TikTok first at this, at this point. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And maybe I'll have to go and take a look at that. I just, I just don't. But I, I mean, I'm totally infatuated with Instagram. And literally one of those people that could just spend hours looking at photos. Because first of all, I just love photography. I mean, like I love watching your videos. I think they're so much fun. I get to see your personality and that's what's great about it. But I could look at food photography forever in a day. Like it never gets old to me. <laughs> Unfortunately, Instagram is facing out all that. So Oh no. Oh my God. <laughs> they they just want it, they just want us posting videos, which <gasps> It's fine. I like posting videos, but you know, a few photo posts would be nice to throw in there because it's less work for me. Uh, but yeah, like I basically like if you look at my feed, yeah, maybe it's, no, it's one post. Maybe it's one post a month that's photos, just because I'm gonna throw it up there, just because I feel like it. But like, it's not really, it's not really has any intention behind it necessarily. Where the videos obviously have intention behind them. You know, Jeremy, you you had mentioned. Um, I think that YouTube's a bit slower than some of the others, but on getting paid on YouTube, when I like when I was watching you. Usually the YouTube videos, they start with an ad 
and then you the content comes in and then there's like a middle where there's another ad maybe then there's something at the end i'm not sure how that's set up to get paid but also so question about that is that a good way to get uh, income and also if somebody weren't to watch the whole video are they able to track that are they saying hey these these people didn't even get to the second ad yeah like that that's the biggest the biggest thing in youtube's algorithm is watch time basically so it's like it, they they value how long did you watch that video and like that's how they determine if it's a good video or not. So yeah, and then you get paid per person those ads get to. I mean, for you to make the equivalent to like influencer money, you probably need millions of views per video. Like I get paid on my YouTube videos. I make like a hundred bucks a month. I don't know. Like I'm not gonna say no to money. It's great, but like you know you can't really do anything yeah. much with yeah. that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're looking. To sustain yourself just off of YouTube before thinking of sponsored content, you, you need to be in the millions of followers and getting millions of views per video. Gotcha. All right. Well, Jeremy, um, a few more questions. We won't keep you all day, although I could talk to you about this forever, just because I find it so fascinating. I truly do. I just, it's such a world that's just unknown to me, other than, like I said, just me watching you and wondering what's going on in your life and how you're getting these videos posted and stuff like that. But for, you know, people who are interested, and as I said, there's so many people who just think that they can do this today and think it's super simple. You just give maybe your top five tips that you have for somebody who comes up to you and says, how can I be you, Jeremy? Like, what do I need to do? Like five simple little things that people should start working on right now. Yeah. I mean, I think like number one, it's always just like, it's it's personally travel driven now. Like that's it. Like you have to be interesting and you have to have something you want to talk about and be able to really speak to it. Like you really can't fake it anymore because it's all a video and like you can't even fake it the way it looks. Like I still like my stuff to look really good because I have the cameras and I have the lights and I have the equipment. Like that's my background. But like you don't even necessarily need that now. You just have to know how to use your iPhone. But you have to come across on camera really well. Like that's the number one thing. And and I'm always just like for me, like when people say that to me, especially food, I'm like, well, why would someone follow you? And mm-hmm. I don't say this in a mean way, but I'm just like, no. if you can't answer that question, well, then no one else is going to. So like, what is the reason? They could say like, well, I love food. It's like, well, cool. Yeah. Get online. So does <laughs> fucking everyone else on Instagram. Like that's not a qualifier. <laughs> like it, like be like be niche in some way, have some expertise, especially on TikTok. Everyone wants to learn something. You want to learn something. So like, so yeah, I don't know if you are a really good baker, then bake. And talk about your techniques to baking all these different things. Like, have a thing. Like, even for me, like, what am I teaching people? It's like, I don't know. Like, you know, a lot, it's the food travel stuff. So it's like, okay, what's my lesson? My lesson is like, when you go to Buenos Aires, here are the five restaurants you need to eat at. Like, that's my expertise. And that's what I'm speaking to. And I've, it's funny when like people were like, well, what do you know about food? It's like, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, yeah, like I've been working in food TV or food media for, over a decade, I've been around the world eating. Like you just you learn stuff. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> like and you've worked with some the, of the best chefs and stuff like that, and you've learned from yeah. them. Yeah. I don't know what tip number I'm at, but like I think it's just like and then video. <laughs> it's it, it it's all video. Like it's I think it's video, and I think it's it's finding your style. I think that like when you look at especially TikTok as an example, but Instagram too. I think when you look at everything as a very macro level, it's like, oh, I gotta do, I gotta do what's working. Then when to see a video that works and copy it, which is what everybody tries to do. I didn't have success doing that because when I tried to do that, it was so not me that it was obvious and nobody liked it. So it really took me being like, okay, well, I can't copy these videos exactly because I personally hate it and the audience realizes that I hate doing this. But there are lessons to be learned in the videos that do well. So I would watch the videos 
see what's doing well, but then just try and figure out a way to incorporate that into my videos where I'm not just doing what's trendy. I'm not just copying what's working, but I'm adapting to what's working and while still making it my own. I think like that's been a huge reason why my stuff has like worked really well recently. It's like, okay, cool. Like he's not stuck in his ways, which I can be, you know what I mean? He's, he's adapting while still at its cores doing what I do, which I think is really important. What made you switch to the, uh, I noticed the new um, like thing that you're doing is like, let me tell you about this or whatever. Like that's kind of like a new thing. Let me tell you why. Like it was literally all by accident. It was by tick, it's because it's TikTok. It's just the way I talk. So like a lot, most of my videos now, a big change is doing all of VO, which is so much better for me because like I would try and talk on camera and stumble over my words and forget everything. And like, especially when I'm by myself and like, it, it was really hard to do. So I would just like talk, 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 talk and try and edit it together for it to make sense. And they generally made sense and no one really noticed. But one shift I saw on TikTok was everything was VO. And I'm like, oh, this is so much easier now. So the way I do my videos now, are like the only time I'm saying something on camera is just when I'm tasting. Because that really should be like my initial thoughts of what that dish is. Like that moment of tasting and what it is, is great to see on camera. But everything else is VO where I could like actually do research and like tell this story better than I ever could have when I was just trying to talk on the fly, speak on the fly. So then let me tell you why stuff came because by accident, I kept doing it in every video. And then like one video didn't have it. And someone's like, you didn't say the thing. Because I didn't say, I was like, what? I was like, I didn't say what? They're like, you didn't say, let me tell you why. And then I looked back at my videos and realized that like, I was essentially saying that every single time, not exactly that, but I was, right. that was basically to set up in every video. I was like, all right, well, I guess I got my thing now. I will include it in every single video. And especially on TikTok, it's about the repetition. It's about people seeing your video and understanding what it is before they even know what it is. So the fact that it's like always the same setup, always the same line, always the same whatever, like helps them ingratiate themselves to your content. Oh no, I love it. I, I mean, I noticed it and I was like, when did he start doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're gonna mer- we're gonna merch at least. We're starting there. Oh, awesome! Um, and for people who don't know what a VO is, um, it's voiceover. So he's talking about voicing over, which I agree with you, Jeremy. I think that it does. I think it is better with your voiceover because again, you go back, you gather your thoughts. That it's clear, mm-hmm. it's more informative. Um, I can, like fact check. You absolutely. Like- <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think it, it sounds really, really good. Um, okay, just a few more questions. Just because who are your favorite influencers right now? Like, who are you following? Who do you think are doing really interesting things? And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the food world. Are there other areas on you know social media that you are personally interested in yourself? Yeah, there's two things. So number one, I mean, nacho filet, obviously. Um, <laughs> oh, nacho. It actually is insane that nacho has been able to build an entire company off of social media. I mean, it, it, like, it's crazy. I mean, they're selling cat food because the cat has followers on Instagram. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane. And Patrick, I don't know if you know, it's Bobby's cat, Nacho, the main coon who I've known <laughs> since he was born. Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, Fred, Fred, I, well, I always used to say to Bobby, like Fred Scrappy, you know, like <laughs> Nacho is like a prima donna. So we would always say, who would win? Oh, that's what I said. I was like, please, Nacho, like Fred is scrappy. He'll take him down. <laughs> no, I love Nacho. It is quite interesting. Yes, of course. So other than Nacho. Who- <laughs> uh, um, but the other one is, it's it, uh, her, her handles, it's me, Tinks. Do you know her? No. Mm-mm. So she blew up on TikTok, mostly doing like little funny videos. Like she'll do like 
her, it was sort of like a rich mom of whatever. Like she was really funny. She was a writer, blah, blah, blah. And she blew up and just her career path and every decision her team now makes because she is gigantic is just so smart and, and really interesting. And she's done such an incredible job of one, connecting to her audience, which is something I look to her for inspiration. It's like, okay, how is she connecting to her audience? What could I pull from that that connects me? Because at the end of the day, like that's the number one thing. And then her career path where like she's gone from and still is so-and-so influential online, but has been able to turn that into like legit media opportunities of hosting shows on Sirius XM and doing weekly segments on a Today Show and being on every talk show and being, you know, like really transitioning to something, I don't want to say more legit, but more mainstream while still maintaining all the internet stuff is, is, is really cool. What's her handle? It's called It's Me Tinks, T-I-N-X. So her videos are now, it's most, her Instagram specific is very just like her life. Her TikTok is much more like her humor and stuff. But yeah, like especially her stories, like the way she connects with people and people die over her. It's like, oh, well, like that's, that is like what you are attempting to do online more than anything else. Oh, interesting. She has about the same amount of followers that you do. So, well, her TikTok is millions, though. Oh, okay. Um, how many TikTok followers do you have? Uh, almost like 175,000. Okay. Listen, I'm impressed with all of it. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, now I've been following your sandwich things. I think I told you that I made the, you know, figures. I leave New York City and we get a good burger place on the Upper West Side where I used to live. The Miznon, is it pronounced Miznon? Uh, Miznon. He's known burger. So I see that and I'm like, what the hell is that with that cheese that's like, you know, kind of turns into a, um, the word I'm looking for, you know, like I made it's the all cheese crusty. one. Yeah, the crusty, but what's that called? Like when you make the cheese in a pan, the Italian, frico, like a frico. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a frico that comes out. So I had friends over a couple of weeks ago because we're, I don't really even eat meat myself. Like I'm not a burger person, but I love making them and trying different ones. And I saw you, you know, your post on that. And I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So I actually made the pita. I made the burger. I did my own kind of sauce because I'm not really a tahini person. I don't like yogurt or anything like that. But, and so I did like this special, like spicy sauce to go with it. And my friends were absolutely blown away. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Now, the next thing that you just posted, that tortilla de papas. Oh, oh yeah. my God. That's the next thing I'm making for my friends. <laughs> so the way that you post, and like I said, anybody out there listening who wants to hire Jeremy I'm to writing this about down. their food is sick. First of all, just watching it being made and then watching you eat it and all of that cheese and the Indian <laughs> poutine in um, Toronto. <gasps> uh, oh, so no, that, was New- that was New York City, the Indian poutine. Oh, it was? I thought that was a Toronto one. Where is no, that I in think New York I, City? I posted about it. Because I, I think I either just got back from Montreal or was going to Montreal. It tied into the trip to Montreal in some way. But no, it's there. Is that a place called Desigali? They have two okay. locations where they did. They were in like East Village and then like Midtown East. Stuff like that is right at my alley. Like the junkier the food with the more <laughs> toppings and the more fattening it is, is what I love. And not to mention, Indian food is my new current favorite obsession. Like I'm obsessed with eating it and cooking it and reading about it and teaching it. So I thought that that was. Just absolutely amazing, amazing. Your unregular pizza and the pan con bistec. I mean, my Spanish is horrible. Mm. I took French. All of those things to me just have, you know, looked amazing. Tell me something. If you had to choose one thing that just blew your mind in the last, like you were just in LA. What's happening in LA? Like, give me, it's my favorite food city in the United States. 
Oh, what did I do in LA? I forget everything. It takes This is why I post on Instagram. I forget everything. Uh, the best thing I probably had in LA was, you know, you know what I had? Not the best thing, but the thing that was most exciting was I went to Courage Bagels. Do you know what that is? No. Uh-uh. So people in LA have been dying over because, you know, LA bagels generally suck. So they opened up Courage Bagels maybe two years ago. And everyone's like, you got to go. We finally have good bagels. You have to go. You have to go. You have to go. And they told me they were more Montreal style. I didn't find that. So, listen, they were delicious. The toppings mm-hmm. were absolute top-notch everything. We got like five different bagels because they serve them open face. So you get like ha- half and half and half. Mm. It was fantastic. I just don't know if I'd call it a bagel. They were like crusty on the outside the way I would like a bagel, but almost so airy on the inside that mm-hmm. the inside didn't exist. And I was like, this is a delicious bread sandwich something. But I don't know if I would call it because it certainly wasn't a Montreal style bagel. It certainly wasn't a New York City style bagel. Was, I guess if you want to call it specifically LA style bagel, Sure. But yeah, people have been dying about it in LA. And I, and I understand why, but I still think you're missing true New York City bagels out there. I'm looking at it right now. I actually just pulled it up and I agree with you. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. It does look absolutely gorgeous. A little bit too dark and crusty and yeah, too thin. The thing I love about the New York City bagel is the chew on it. Like I love that. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, I'm all about the doughier types of bread. And I have to say that, you know, having lived in several places and traveling a lot too, I mean, you're just never going to be able to replicate a New York City bagel other any place else other than New York. It's just not going to happen. And then they say I keep, it's the I water. keep trying. Everywhere, everywhere I go, I try them. And I'm like, they're good bagels, but I'm like, it's, right. it's not even close. It's not even New York City. It's not even, you can't even not, call it a New York City bagel. It's not like New Yorkers haven't moved to LA and opened you know, bagel places. It's right. not that. There has to be something. It has to be the water if that's what they say it is. But... I know that they don't exist in in Bozeman, Montana. I can tell you that right now. So I can't even begin to tell you (laughs) how bad they are here, but that's fine. I'll find something else to eat. Anyhow, and so just tell me right now too, like if you had to choose like maybe three of your favorite food cities in the United States, where are you telling people to go right now? Still classics. It's still to me, it's it's New York, Chicago, LA. To me, Mm -hmm. I think LA, I... Uh, the, the three, like, listen, New York is is incredible. It has a lot. I think, like, the way the type of food that I like, mm-hmm. I do think that like LA excites me a little bit more, just because yeah. I find that like, yeah, this is the way I like to eat. Like, more of the Mexican influence, more of like the different types of Asian culture influence. I yeah. I like out there. I think like, even though prices have gone up significantly in LA, I still think it's an easier place to experiment rather than New York, which like you really almost can't experiment anymore. You can't just try things because it's impossible. In Chicago, I love because if I'm in Chicago, where you're not going to, listen, you have some absolute world class top notch restaurants, but I think overall, you're not going to have like the huge swath of great places, but nothing's bad. Like there's no bad food in Chicago. It's, it's really crazy. So, like between those three, I could eat en- endlessly. I mean, I went to college in Chicago and lived there for seven years, haven't lived there in a million years, and it's still my second favorite food city ever. I still dream about dishes that I had there when I was like 25 years old or 26 years old. Whenever I go back, I still go back to the majority of the places that are still open that I loved. Chicago style pizza will always be my favorite form of pizza. I'm much to the dismay of most people because I know <laughs> uh, true pizza lovers don't love it. I love it more than anything. And yeah, LA, I feel the same way. You can't get better Mexican food anywhere, not to mention the freshness of those farm stands. And Oh, yeah how all of those chefs are experimenting in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Like I love the vegan aspect of it. I like that they're doing gluten-free stuff. 
lots of vegetarian stuff. Well, even like the best, the best thing I had at Courage Bagels was like the tomato. I was like, oh, oh my God, like tomatoes. I can't get tomatoes like this in New York. Like I don't even eat tomatoes in New York because I think they're gross. Yeah, you can get them for like two weeks in like the end of August. Right, exactly. Yeah. um, No, 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 I agree with you. Um, I love Southern California's food. I absolutely love it. I think it's one of the most amazing. I can't wait to get back. I haven't really traveled much for the last couple of years just because just the hassle of, you know, flying right now and stuff like that. So one of my first trips is definitely going to be heading back to South Carolina. I mean, Southern California, because as we know, our good friend Dahlia moved back there. So I'll be visiting her and, and then also me. eating my way. Oh, and you too, Patrick. And me. Hey, wait a minute now. I have to ask Jeremy. So Jeremy, you mentioned New York, LA, and Chicago. And I know you, you're big into sports, right? You mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking of eventually doing a podcast on the best hot dog, stadium hot dog in the United States. You probably have been at games at all three stadiums. Who's got the best hot dog? Oh, I mean, the Dodger dog. There's nothing, Dodger there's dog. No, there's nothing, there's nothing better at Dodger Look dog. Look at yeah. you. Okay. Don't appreciate that. <laughs> See, and okay. I love Chicago hot dogs. I love the with the, all the, like, uh, the tomatoes <laughs> and the pickles. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What makes the Dodger dog so awesome? Tell me. I don't even remember. I mean, I just remember eating and being like, there's nothing that comes close to this. This is the best. <laughs> it's probably been like, a decade since I've had one, but I just remember eating and be like, nope, there's made at Yankee Stadium and like City Field too. Like, all you know, Bobby has a place there now. Like, it's all more elevated stuff where at Dodger Stadium to at least, you know, go get that same hot dog we've had for 50 years. I think, I think is so cool. Well, I mean, again, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I haven't spoken to you in so long and I do miss you. And I, not just so you know, I follow you every day and I couldn't be more proud of you. I think that it's well deserved. I know that you're one of the hardest working people out there and one of the nicest and you deserve all that you're getting. And I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today. Great to meet of you, course. Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope to see you soon and, and make your way to Bozeman. Give us another year or so. We're still like, we're doing pretty well in the food, but I definitely want you to come here and, and check out some of the hot spots. In a year. Okay. In a year. <laughs> oh, you can come anytime and visit. Oh, oh, I just okay. don't think, no, you can come tomorrow if you want and visit. <laughs> We'd love to have you. I'm just saying there's still some things that need to be worked out before you come here and do a real food evaluation. Okay. Thanks again, Jeremy. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.